0: Today's topic is the person who mentions price first loses control of the negotiation. I've always had a problem with buying or selling anything based solely or primarily on price. You want to know why? Because each of us places a different value on every product or service we purchase. Think about toilet paper. Most people hate the thin one-ply brands. Sure, they're less expensive than the plush cottony ones you see advertised on TV, but I'll bet you'd rather pay a few extra dollars to avoid sandpapering your bottom. However, not everyone agrees with you. Take me, for instance. If that plush, cushiony toilet paper clogs up the ancient septic system at my house, I'll need to install a brand new $15,000 system. Despite the fact that my favorite one-ply toilet paper costs less than your high-end brand, I'd actually pay more for it. You and I value toilet paper differently for entirely different reasons. And it works the same way when it comes to drive through burgers or insurance. Everyone's taste is different. To be an effective and successful salesperson, you need to know how your clients and prospects value whatever it is they're buying. Why are they buying it? Because they have to or because they want to? How well do they understand it, both in terms of what it does and what it doesn't do? What are their expectations about it? not only about the product itself, but about how service will be provided. Tossing a dollar amount at someone means nothing in the absence of context. I remember a phone call I received when I owned an insurance agency in Missoula, Montana. A man called me at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon and wanted a quote for auto insurance. When I told him I couldn't provide a quote over the phone because I needed to meet with him to discuss what kind of coverage he wanted to buy and what he wanted an auto insurance policy to do for him, he got very upset. I just want a price, he said. For auto insurance, it's not that big a deal. I could have explained further, insisting why it was a big deal and that it wouldn't be professional or ethical for me to just toss a quote at him. But that would only have frustrated both of us and gotten neither of us anywhere. So I gave him his quote. $743.12, I said. What? He shot back that's ridiculous. Why are you so high? Everyone else has been quoting me about $350. (laughs) Couldn't help it. I laughed. Then I told him, I just made up a number. I don't know anything about you or what type of car you have, where you live, what you use the car for, or what your driving record looks like. But you wanted a quote and you were upset. So I gave you a quote. What's wrong with $743.12? As you might guess, the man did not like the quote and he didn't think I was funny, but he did make an appointment to visit the office so we could talk before I gave him the next quote. Value. Everyone perceives it differently. Over the years, I came up with a really good way to gauge how people value their insurance. I start with a story, then offer my absolute best top of the line, super duper insurance policy. And it doesn't matter what type of insurance we're talking about. But to give you an example, let's talk about auto insurance. Conversation would go something like this. I'd say to the client, I'm gonna help you figure out exactly what coverages you want and how much you should buy. But I'd like to tell you a story first, and then I'll ask you a single question afterward. Here's a story. Let's imagine someone's driving down the road and the brakes fail. Despite stomping on them and yanking on the emergency brake, The driver's car doesn't stop. Not wanting to rear-end the car ahead, the driver swerves to the right. Unfortunately, another car was pulling up alongside in the right lane and the driver didn't see. The driver crashes into that car and careens toward two parked cars, jumps the curb, strikes a pedestrian, and slams through the big glass window at a coffee shop before crashing to a halt. I let all that sink in, and then I ask this question. If that driver were you, how would you want your auto insurance policy to respond to that incident? When your clients answer that question, they'll be telling you exactly what they want to buy and how they value an insurance policy. Some will be primarily concerned about the pedestrian's injuries. Some will be horrified they struck three different cars. Others will imagine the lawsuit when the coffee shop owner sues them not only for damage to the building, but also for the loss of income when it has to close down for a month of repairs. Then, of course, there's always the people whose first response is to say the most important thing is getting their own car fixed right away. Regardless of how your clients answer, you'll understand what's important to them and what they want their auto policies to do. If you translate that into insurance speak, it means your clients will tell you what coverages they want to buy. When you show them a proposal with every single coverage that's available at the highest limits available, they'll then tell you how much they want to pay. True, they're going to choke when they hear the cost of the best super duper policy you can sell, but all you have to do is say, hey, this is the most comprehensive top of the line auto insurance policy I can sell you. I certainly don't want to offer you anything less without knowing anything about you. And when I prepared the quote, I had no idea about what you wanted your policy to do for you or what you think makes a good or the best policy. Now that we've had this conversation, all we need to discuss is what you don't want your policy to do and together we can design your version of the best policy. Once you've done that, you ask your clients if they want their policies to pay for injuries to the pedestrian or the passengers in the vehicles or the patrons of the coffee shop. Now, they always have the option to pay for those injuries themselves if they don't want the insurance company to do it. And you let them know that. Then you go right on down the line with all the other coverages. You tell them how much the insurance company is willing to pay for each claim. That would be the highest limit the insurance company offers. And you let your clients decide how much of each of the claims involved in that incident they're willing to split with the company and on what basis. Again, you're not talking policy premium or price. You're letting your client do the talking and explain what they want their policies to do for them. Your clients get to decide precisely what value the policy will provide. And when they ask what the final policy cost is going to be after you've gone through this process, nine times out of ten, they'll have broader coverage than they would if you'd use the typical, okay, what coverages and limits do you want to buy approach? so many agents use by default. More importantly, though, they'll have a better understanding of just what they bought and why. The minute you bring up price, your clients control the conversation and the interview and the negotiation. They get to tell the story, and I can guarantee you they're going to skip over the confusing chapters and get right to the one labeled price. They'll also skip the words they can't pronounce and all the small print. The framework of what gets discussed and why will be much narrower in scope than if you, the person with the knowledge and expertise about insurance, tells the story. Clients seek the advice and services of insurance professionals because we have a whole lot more technical and hands-on experience about the subject of insurance than they do. If they think they can handle the purchase all by themselves, they can buy online. So when clients seek you out, all you have to do is be a little creative to showcase that knowledge and to provide the framework so you can ask them what they want and then tell them the whole story. For now, that's all I have to say about the person who mentions price first loses control of the negotiation. Now, let's do this week's Q&A. In today's q and I'll be answering two questions. The first is from Roger, an agent from Lincoln, Nebraska. Roger recently attended one of my webinars and asks, Linda, not all my clients have the patience to listen to the long version about why they need to buy insurance and or the collision damage waiver when they rent a car. Can you give me the short version of your explanation so they'll actually listen to my advice before tuning me out? Isn't that the question, Roger? Uh, Insurance can be complex, and we can't always explain it in a minute, but sometimes that's all the time we have. So here's the short version. The insurance policy is a contract, and the car rental agreement is also a contract, and they contain contradictory provisions. The car rental agreement requires the renter to provide financial assurances that can't be met by the insurance policy. So in other words, If someone is renting a car and they get in an accident, they're required to assure their car rental company that they'll pay for certain things, and their insurance policies don't do that. So the best way to accomplish that goal and to be able to pay the things that the car rental companies want them to pay is to buy the collision damage waiver in virtually all cases, and in many cases to buy the insurance, especially if your client has low liability limits. So that's the short version. Um, I hope that answers your question, Roger, and helps you out. Today's second question is from an agent in Wisconsin who prefers to remain anonymous. And she asks, Linda, are cannabis users rated the same as cigarette smokers for life insurance underwriting purposes? And that answer is pretty short. That's a no. They're not treated the same. When it comes to tobacco use, life insurance underwriters are looking for the existence of nicotine in a urinalysis or in blood work. That's the agent that affects morbidity and mortality, meaning health and and, and longevity. And they're going to increase rates for anyone who has nicotine in their bloodstream. When it comes to cannabis, it's a little more complicated. Federal law considers cannabis illegal, and they're concerned about THC levels. Now, I know that 37 states, excuse me, 34 states at last count, have legalized either the recreational or medical use of marijuana. But when life insurance companies are looking at, again, the urinalysis or the blood work, they're looking for the existence of THC. Some of them are not going to issue coverage. Others may. It depends upon if they're local carriers and how concerned they are about, about federal law and the banking laws and all that kind of stuff. And this is a really good question because we are going to be having an upcoming podcast that talks about cannabis in the insurance industry. So things that you'll need to know to answer questions of your clients. Well, that's it for today's Q&A and for the podcast. If you'd like more information about today's subjects or any other insurance topic, visit my website at lindamchenry.com, which offers you the opportunity to contact me with questions for the Q&A and to provide suggestions for future podcast topics. Remember, clueless is a dangerous place to be. Tune in next time, as together we investigate and solve more insurance mysteries. Thanks, everyone. Take care. See you next time.